The Full Exposure Podcast is made possible by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn in appreciation for the contributions that artists and creative minds provide to our community. Arts and culture are essential to a rich and rewarding life, strengthening our overall well-being and our appreciation of all that we see, hear, and experience. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. I can't wait to get into this episode. I think we're just going to jump right into it. Um, There's been a couple times on the podcast where guests have been suggested to me on pretty short notice, and this is one of those episodes. Um, I have a family member, an extended family member, who had a connection to... uh, Mikey Winslow, who's part of the cast of Hamilton, that was here for an amazing run in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I don't even know how many shows they did. It was here for maybe three weeks or more or a month. I can't even remember. Anyway, it's quite a while. And I had an opportunity to see the show, and I'd never seen Hamilton. And I'd heard a lot about it, but I didn't really, it wasn't really on my radar to know tons about the play. And I just knew it was this monster that has taken over Broadway and then every city it's traveled to, it becomes uh, Hamilton hysteria. And that certainly happened in Grand Rapids. And uh, my wife got us tickets for Christmas, my wife and I, so we took a show in at Hamilton. And um, I was blown away by Hamilton. And I say that the context of this is that I've not seen a lot of Broadway productions Most of them have been, I think all of them have been here in Grand Rapids through our local uh, Broadway Theater Guild, or Broadway Grand Rapids it's called now. And they brought in a production of Hamilton, and my wife wanted to see it, and she scored us tickets, and we took in the show. And again, I was blown away. Something about the music, the rhyming, the 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 dancing the the stage production it is a full bore production and um, it is an explosion that happens in front of you on stage and the talent and the actors involved are so amazing and then wasn't uh, even a day or two after that that I had an opportunity to somebody connected me to Mikey Winslow who's part of the cast he's a swing which means Uh, He knows six parts in the play and in the production, and he can be interchanged with any of those for any reason. Somebody's sick, they have a day off, they have uh, personal time, something where they're not performing, and Mikey Winslow is so talented he can play any of six roles. And I thought it would be a great conversation to pull someone in who's inside of Hamilton, literally. And if you go to Mikey's career page, man, he's been part of all kinds of incredible productions over his career the last 10 years. He's been living in New York for all that time. And um, when you meet somebody like him, I hadn't uh, hadn't met him. So the first time I met him face-to-face was when he walked into the studio to shoot the podcast. And that's always a bit of a you don't know what you're getting into. You don't really know this person at all. And all of a sudden, I have to create a portrait of him. And then we're going to sit down and have a conversation about uh, his career, his life, his experiences with Hamilton. And um, and I hadn't done just a basic research of him. But when I met him, I think there was this first little connection of energy. I just felt sometimes when you meet somebody, I just thought, oh, this there's something this guy's alive he's uh, engaging he looks friendly he looked like he wanted to be here which is always a plus <laughs> especially if you're going to take a portrait of somebody and then sit down with them hopefully uh, they're present and Mikey and I our conversation uh, was fantastic the portraits that I was able to make of him in a short period of time before we sat down was incredible and uh, I, I say that because uh, we get into it a little bit at the end of the podcast talking about portraiture and working me working with uh, actors or performers of some kind there's something special that always comes out of those portrait sessions and this was no exception so go to the full exposure podcast.com website you can see uh, Mikey's entire episode page you can see the portraits I shot of him in my studio 
you can see video excerpts of this conversation, which you're about to hear. So fullexposurepodcast.com is your place, as always, to get the full multimedia experience that is our little podcast. So let me formally introduce Mikey, uh, and uh, then we're just going to get into this, all right? Uh, Mikey Winslow just wrapped performing in the smash hit production run of Hamilton Stage in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And before he left town, I was able to sit down with this East Grand Rapids native and veteran of Broadway to talk about his life and career. Amazingly, Mikey's career nearly, nearly ended two years ago after his hip became too painful to continue professionally. Miraculously, he decided to have hip replacement surgery, and after physical rehab, he's as good as ever and pain-free performing and touring with Hamilton. Mike and I discussed the phenomenon that is Hamilton, his drive to succeed, the incredible the incredible demands on his body, and also his uh, tremendous excitement about just being announced to be a cast member in the new production run of Hamilton in Los Angeles, where he'll spend most of 2020 uh, holed up in a, in a theater there performing. And again, he's going to be swinging there, but he's also a great excitement going to be uh, an understudy of King George. And if you've seen Hamilton, the character of King George is a juicy, juicy role. And uh, the fact that he is understanding that and maybe performing it during that production run is going to be incredible in Los Angeles. So without further ado, let's talk to East Grand Rapids native, talented performer, dancer, Broadway icon, well, it's coming. He's going to be. He is. He is already, but he's going to be even bigger. And uh, let's explore the bigger picture with Mikey Winslow. I got to make sure we're recording. In my rookie days, uh, we set up two episodes in one day, and I had the wrong button pushed, and we did two interviews. And here's what it sounded like when I played back the audio. <laughs> Through the, like, for an hour. Oh, Jesus. Nothing. No voices. That's so we're going to make sure we're doing this right. I, uh, first time I was in a band and we ever played a live show was at the talent show or the variety show in high school, and... I walked out and didn't plug in my guitar, <laughs> and we played the whole song. <laughs> there was another guitarist. It was like an original tune, but like the whole time, there was no second guitar. I'm glad I recorded that. Pause. Don't say another word <laughs> while I do the test. <laughs> I've forgotten that. Uh, I do hear my voice now all the time through this dumb podcast. Like I actually, you know how you're always freaked out when you're little, and you're like, is that what my voice sounds like? Yeah. But I, uh, I don't like editing my voice because then I hate my setup questions and then I'm like, you're an idiot. It's like the Chris Farley uh, when he was on Saturday Night Live and he had Paul McCartney on and he had this fake talk show, okay. Chris Farley did. <laughs> so they're on a couch talking and he's like, Mr. McCartney, um, and he's super nervous, like he's doing his hands on all physical. <laughs> totally. He's like, Do you remember when like you were like with the Beatles? <laughs> Paul's like, Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and then Chris goes, That was awesome. <laughs> and that was it. That's, that's, it. A, that's, that's a, it. a good question. <laughs> and then he had to think of another question. Because <laughs> Paul's like, Yeah, I, I remember yeah, I, that. I do remember that. Oh. It's good coffee, thank you. I think it's the uh the dairy supplement that we put in that really put it over the edge. I would agree. How do you normally put in cream to your coffee? Uh, is it cream first, and then you let the coffee mix it up, or do you coffee? I coffee, and then I let the cream in, and then I usually stick my finger in it and <laughs> whip it around. This must be lukewarm coffee all the time. For oh, you. no, I like a little like, hey, yo, it's time for coffee. Wake up. Sally. It's caffeine plus a pain yeah, you is know, what gets you going. At this point, in the morning, got to feel something to be alive. Yeah. 
Mikey Winslow, thank you so much for coming on. It's yeah. been, uh, it, we've been trying for a week and a half. Uh, we were put together by a, a family member of mine, actually, who knows somebody you went to high school with. Somehow mm-hmm. you bumped there's a, in. There's yeah. a connection there. There's a connection there. It's deep in the woods somewhere. Somewhere in the, yeah, my wife's side of the Catholic mafia is where that connection emerged from. But um, I saw Hamilton a week and a half ago at a matinee. And I was blown away. Just for context, I'm not real deep in Broadway theater. I mean, I'm your everyday average guy. But I was first just some takes about being in the production of Hamilton at DeVos Performance Hall. For one, you're from East Grand Rapids. Mm -hmm. But I just want to talk about the show because I, from my layman's perspective about Hamilton and the limited amount of Broadway I've seen in my life, it seemed to be like an innovative turn theater upside down. And from you being in, that's your professional practice and where you live and breathe, what for you makes Hamilton this phenomenon that's just people are blown away? doesn't matter who you are. I think what's really special about Hamilton is that they didn't do anything just because it's how it's, how it's been done. They took time to cultivate and create from that singular point of inspiration and just build and build around the show, serving the show, serving the purpose of the show. And they, you know, they used theatrical devices that had been done and they made them really exciting. They have the double turntable in the show. Turntables are such a great theatrical device, but having the second one adds a whole other element. You know, these are all things that have been done, but they just really took the time to make it about the worth of the material you know they mm-hmm. it's a rich show and the show thematically is about when the right words are said at the right time to the right people it's you know the message gets out and change happens and i think there's an aspect of that in how the show is built you know the choreography alone i i tell people as a dancer in the show we are doing a physical monologue for two and a half three hours every word that you hear Hamilton and Burr and Jefferson and these other performers say, and the sisters, uh, the ensemble is actually communicating that through, their, through our bodies, mm-hmm. um, which to speak personally towards the phenomenon of Hamilton and how it resonates with me, there's a handful of different reasons that dance is used in musical theater. It can be for entertainment's sake, you know, dance for dance sake, and it can be for storytelling's sake. And, integration of dancing into the art form is really what thrills me. And a show like this, the dancers, we must endeavor on such a high intellectual level to perform the choreography on the level that, it, it, that it's due, yeah. um, that it returns such a great experience to the performers or to the dancers. Um, and that makes it that much more special for me. Well, in the dialogue and the songs, I, I just kept appreciating as a, um, just trying to project what it must be like as a performer. You have these this complicated dialogue and songs. It's in rap. You know, it's all rhyme. How you land on each word is very important because the audience is just in this uh, sensory overload of keeping yeah. up with the dialogue. But then the dancing is so physical. And to your point, with the turntable, um, that blew my mind. That was like something that uh, I hadn't seen before, but it didn't seem to be this gimmicky sort of device. And my only regret was my seats weren't more center stage, sure. so I could really see the the symmetry on each side that was happening. I was kind of I was lucky to be down pretty close to the front, but I was kind of had a slightly obstructed view from the floor, but. Uh, just uh, what is it about the, the dialogue as well? I mean, um, there's been other pr- plays and performances that had, you know, what I would term modern contemporary language. Like if Shakespeare's old language, this is the contemporary language of today. Um, the challenges of just learning, reciting, and then performing and embodying that, something like that. It's, it, it's certainly a challenge. Um, I think first to speak to, it's just so resonant as a, uh, in like terms of the, the words and the rap and all of that. I mean, Lynn is sort of like 
a cultural leader. You know, he's like a pop leader. And so it's cool. It's wonderful that, you know, if he puts it to rhythm or he puts it down on paper, the words are going to have that relevance that people are going to hear and listen to, and um, which is great. And it makes the material rich. But then there's the aspect of learning it. And, you know, as the ensemble, you know, I first stepped into the show um, a little over a year ago in the New York company. And day one of day one of the experiences, you get to go to the theater and they give you a ticket and you sit down and you watch the show and it's great. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm at Hamilton and like it's a good seat. And you're um, like, oh, by the way, I also work here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, I'm gonna be joining the show, so like don't freak out, but um but before we went out and sat down, the resident choreographer in that company says you know, it's going to really behoove you if you if you know all the words before we start rehearsal tomorrow. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, yeah, that like come in with my lyrics ready so I can dance and learn choreography to my lyrics. That's what I always do, you know, that's the professional sort of mentality. And she said, no, I mean all the words. Because, you know, there's a couple, there's a handful of different ways that dance is communicated. There's a boom, chickalaka, haka, puka, puka, whatever, you know, your rhythms and your same <laughs> syllables that are just, you know, however the rhythms feel in your body. Or you could go by the counts, one and a two. Or, yeah. And then you might have to go by the words, say, yo, I'm just like my country, young, scrappy. Like, and mm-hmm. it's actually, the words are the most consistent measure of any sort of rhythm or time or anything throughout the show. And so they end up being... The cadence. The cadence, and it's so important to learn that. So it was, that was a huge uh, learning curve for me because I'd step in rehearsal and they say, okay, well, this is on this word and this is on this syllable. It's like, I don't know. I don't know where that is. I don't know what the phrase even is that we're talking about. Yeah. But as the process goes, and, and Hamilton, learning Hamilton is certainly a layer by layer by layer piece, it does, it does help so much because then it allows for the availability to perform the artistic duet or partnership with the other art forms, right? Where Hamilton, or the actor that's playing Hamilton, is going to have idiosyncrasies about their timing that it's going to be live. It's going to be, you know, in the moment. And the availability to hear it and know what the rhythm, what the words are, allows the dance to line up that much more crisply with the words, which delivers the message even tighter. So, you know... So it's interesting. I've been, I've had the opportunity to teach a bunch while I've been here too, and and something I keep noticing is there's this. We, I'm going to use the example of dancing, in the studio we're dancing to the music, and and then there's this version we hear the music in our head and we know what it's going to sound like, even if we're not familiar with the song. We've now heard it once. We've done the combination once, and we start dancing to what we expect to be there, and so I've. I've started this conversation of saying, hey, how can we actively listen and intend to partner with what we are experiencing as opposed to what we are expecting? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know. Well, it requires that extra presence. Yeah. Whether you're working on it in real life, to just go, okay, I'm I'm, now I'm doing, I'm having a conversation with Mikey, and I'm going to be extra present to think and feel. But it's so amplified on stage when you have everyone waiting off a particular cue, or you're waiting for a cue to go, and the band is, and like everybody, because um, that's the marvel of Hamilton for me was just how tight it is, and how quickly it could kind of ride that thread of unraveling. Yeah. Oh yeah. What is it like when in rehearsal when things are just not clicking and someone's having a bad day and they're struggling? You know, the rehearsal process is. Is different because it's a it's a safe place to do work, you know. The performance aspect is there, but it's but you know we do an understudy rehearsal, give or take every week, with a swing company and understudy understudy company, and there are varying degrees of what's needed. Personally, like okay, this week I really I'm gonna do this track in this rehearsal, and I need for myself to like hit this 100 percent. Or, you know, my voice is tired and I don't need to be singing this and I've been on for this track three times this week and I'm going to take it down. Um, I lost my train of thought. Well, we were just talking about the difficulty of having a, a bad rehearsal or oh, things yes. aren't clicking. Yeah, yeah. It's, it ends up being a learning opportunity because, you know, there's this idea that the show must go on and that's absolutely the case. Right. And especially with a show like Hamilton where 
it doesn't stop. It's yeah. it's nonstop. I mean, there's so many ways to quote this show, and it, it's it's impossible <laughs> not to. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, any keyword applies. Um, but there must become that pattern of just continuing on when something is like not in the pocket, or when you're not feeling right, because right. you know eight shows a week is really unforgiving. Well, and your swing role is especially impressive because you have to be ready at a moment's notice to fill six roles, no six parts in an already enormously complicated production and dialogue's complicated. Each of those characters are different, have Mm -hmm. different mindsets, motivations, uh, and not just their character, but also in their uh, presence on the stage, you know, whether it's more amplified or it's more in to amplify something else that happened in the dance choreography or something. So when you're a swing and you have six disciplines that normally a person wouldn't have it one of those Mm -hmm. and you have to do six and be ready, what is um, that like? Has that helped you with your skills? Has that broadened you? Because you're really doing six things when other actors are doing one. Uh, Are you better than them? Is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're all maybe. No, There's I'm just room. kidding. No, no. <laughs> There's room at the table for all. I of mean, us. if they were really that good, they would give them more than one role, and they've handed you six. So I'm assuming that you're the most talented Thank person that's ever. You know what? That is the most logical way to look at it I've ever heard. I like how we're thinking. <laughs> the, there should be a plaque of you at DeVos Performance Hall. Maybe six plaques. Six plaques at DeVos. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if that can happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to work on it. I'll make some calls. Uh, one of the concession booths. But it is enormously complicated, and to master that. So from your perspective, when you're like, oh, I'm going to swing in this production, what is your mindset going in as opposed to if you have a, uh, you know, one role and it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's that's yeah. the role? Um, I think the first word that comes to mind is non-attachment. You know, when stepping into a role where I'm going to be on stage in the track eight shows a week, there's an element of getting to find the like really, really, really subtle edges and cultivate it. And within staying in the confines of the choreography and the movement and the staging and all that, there's still availability for the artist to really kind of have their own signature. Yeah. Um, whereas as a swing, that regardless of if that's available to you or not, based on how, how things are managed, it's not necessarily the practice of it isn't as available. You know, if, if I am to stay with a company and be swinging for the same show for a year and a half and I, it becomes very comfortable, there is opportunity to flex and find those subtleties. But it really more is this, um, I don't like to think of it as a blunt tool because I don't think any artists are blunt tools, but um, it's, uh, it's a patch. You know, we're aiming at 100%. We're aiming at a perfect show, but anybody doing Hamilton is aiming at 100 and, like, mm-hmm. is probably going to get somewhere in the 90s because yeah. there's just so much information. But especially as a swing, you know, we are, it's the show must go on. Um, and so the mentality is, is slightly different. It's slightly, I'm, I'm here to do a job. I'm not here to perform. And, like, you know, the ideal is to perform and land it and have it be absolutely spectacular and that's what ends up happening the audience will see it the same mm-hmm. you know but uh, there's a different understanding of the show I think that comes with swinging um, swings understand the embodiment of the ensemble as a singular entity right Right. an entity that turns into all these different pieces and all these characters and shows so much but the process of learning it is overwhelming because it's so much information and it starts with one track you, you know, stay with one track until you get that down. And once that's learned, you have a wealth of information to jump from. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it is, it's still track by track, but then it becomes about sort of geometry, at least in my mind it is, because yeah. I have a larger understanding of how the ensemble is interacting with the stage at large. And like, okay, once was, I was over here, that means I must, there must be someone balancing me here, which means then we must be here. And all of a sudden I've got four or five points on stage of reference to see the shape yeah. as it moves and see how it's used you know, I think one of the lessons that I've learned later in my career thus far is the purpose of the ensemble. There's the joy of being in the ensemble, which is why so many, I think, performers get into being 
you know, chorus dancers, and like it's a wonderful place to exist, especially for so many of us that like we're searching for that place to exist safely. Yeah. But then there's the aspect of serving the show, and when the ensemble, even a show like Hamilton, where the ensemble is used so specifically, understanding that it's larger than any singular performer, mm-hmm. and and I being able to identify with that purpose, um, I feel like that ends up. It's not that it doesn't happen for the onstage company by any means, but having that pers- that, that perspective is more mm-hmm. where I come from for the swing process. Can you dig into something that you said, and it was interesting, but I'd like you to expand on the idea of um, being an ensemble, but you mentioned that it's uh, a place to, to exist and perform safely, or did you mean more, how did you mean like this, what is the safety around? Oh, I just that mean being, that... Uh, as a profession... I think we as dancers do performing arts as young people because we love it and we, it's a place where we resonate and, and certainly dance has become a very popular thing and a very you know, accepted thing and it's always been accepted in certain worlds or for certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, speaking personally, there's something that I've experienced that is performing. That is yeah. the joy that I feel when I perform, and it is. I feel like it's a it's a pocket of the world that envelops me and, and like gives me this hug and is like, you are valid in all the ways that make you different that you mm-hmm. always saw. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, it's a it's a safe place for me to exercise my heart. Yeah. Um, and I and I imagine that's something that many of us have in common because you know. It starts out as a dream, but it very quickly becomes a really, really difficult, arduous career that breaks your right. body down and takes sure. you away from your family. And um, well, I think if I hear you right, I'm reading the vulnerability of the performer, and that ties back to just being vulnerable enough to submit yourself to maybe you're insular and shy, but you're called to be a performer, and you have to be yeah. vulnerable in that, and then you have to be vulnerable in the audition process and then you have to be and what I find so fascinating about a lot of performers and actors and um, comics is they overcome this almost paralyzing fear of their own characters either they're they're insecure they're whatever but they find something through performing which it almost is in direct conflict of what they want to express in the way that you've articulated what performing does for you. And maybe just talk about the special sort of uh, camaraderie that happens around stage performance and these people that are like-minded, probably like like individuals in their thinking. Yeah, uh, there is certainly a, a special community bond that's built within a show, any show, um, because there is this vulnerability and there's an understanding that we're all stepping out in a space to do something that's kind of crazy. I mean, if you asked anybody in the audience to step out on the stage, I'm sure there's people who would say, absolutely, I've been dreaming about this moment my whole life. Please put me on that stage, and that's wonderful. But there's also, I think, a lot of people who would say, God, no way. In fact, there's a moment on, in Hamilton when he is singing Hurricane and the ensemble, everybody's just sitting on stage, existing, listening. And the track that I was in in Chicago, I was able to look straight out at the audience for a minute and a half without having to do anything. You know, and I'm not moving my eyes, but I'm trying to take into the periphery and just kind of see all the people that are staring at us. And it's a shocking thing to actually let that in, that information, be like, oh my God, there's like, you know, 1,700 people out there just staring at us. What am I doing? Right. Um, it's overwhelming. So there is a support because we all know somewhere in our, you know, deepest lizard brain like this is freaky <laughs> yeah. um and, there, well, it's, a, and it's an unusual sort of dynamic you know just the idea of this human performance and expression it's art embodied yeah on stage and it's a rare that's the thing i kept thinking about too with hamilton and i didn't mean to sidetrack you from continuing your thought but uh it's just such rarefied air that you have Lynn writing this, the music, the choreography, the costuming, the stage as a character, you know, the texture of it, the colorscape of it, like that's so dependent on this. And it all comes together into this explosive, explosive um, 
uh, experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And that is rare when all those fundamentals, and that gets back to the phenomenon question I think about Hamilton and other famous productions, but they have that rare special sauce yeah. that happens. And it's rare and to be appreciated, and that's why you know, tens of thousands of people in Grand Rapids came to see this run. Yeah, oh yeah. It's amazing. Grand Rapids certainly turned out. <laughs> well, let's talk about EGR. So you grew up in East Grand Rapids. You are from here. Yeah. Like your whole life, like elementary? Yeah, yeah, through? elementary, Lakeside. I went to the middle school. I went to the high school. The whole yeah. deal. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking during the photo shoot is, uh, you know, a little bit about, for me, I was thinking about what I'm going to talk to you about in terms of coming from West Michigan, East Grand Rapids, then you went to Holland, then West Michigan, or I'm sorry, Hope College, and then Western Michigan. But to me, in terms of just the normal, there there aren't necessarily a lot of well-known people that have had that exact same path that you've had. Sure. And nobody's path is exact. But the idea of, like, I think I jokingly said, I don't know that there's a, a Mount Rushmore of uh, production <laughs> stage theater people here that you could, as a kid in middle school, go, I want to be that person. Absolutely. And you slap back. They slap that back. I, I did. There, well, so I hear what you're saying. Growing up here, there, there was one example of somebody who was out there doing it um, that I saw, and that was uh, this guy named R.J. Durrell. He's mother owned and ran the dance studio that I grew up at, and R.J. graduated high school. I don't know what year he graduated. He did it in like three years, left East, went to L.A., and he's been smashing it in L.A. ever since. He and his uh, partner, Nick, choreographed for Katy Perry and Madonna. I mean, they've just done, they've run the gamut. And so I always saw him as like, that is what I want to do. Yeah. You know, to the point where like college wasn't really even on, in the brain space for me. Right. I thought I was going to go to L.A. Um, but to return to my, my snapback, <laughs> there have been a handful of us, three, if more. The list continues, and I apologize to the people who, are not, who I'm not thinking of right now. But yeah. um, and It wasn't to put you on the spot, no, but, but whatever like, you want to share. There's yeah. a handful of us, uh, Joe Carroll, Johnny Stellard, um, Lori Valdeer, Brian Martin. You know, These are all people who are working on Broadway um, that are from the Grand Rapids area, that are contemporaries of mine. Um, they're all my... Younger yeah. Grand Rapids siblings because I'm grandpa now, but <laughs> in the industry, yeah, it yeah. seems impossible. We stay as fresh looking as we can. Yeah. Well, that's great, but you also mentioned that maybe college wasn't in the cards. So, how did you get diverted to Hope and then Western, who has a long performance? Uh, you know, they have a great legacy of performing arts there. Um, and what made you, instead of going to LA or New York to pursue, what got you to? <laughs> I'll go to college. Well, the l- short version of that is junior year, I was dating a senior, mm-hmm. and she was going to college, and I was a little wrapped up in that relationship, and all of a sudden I was like, well, maybe I'll go where she's going. And my parents jumped on that and said, you're going to go to college now. If you've got Nelly out of your head for a second, sure. you're going to go to college. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't know what I wanted to do with college. I had no expectations of calling, going to college and... Um, I really liked the campus at Hope. I thought it was beautiful. We yeah. summered in Holland, so yeah. I was familiar with the area. I had some friends going there. Um, I, you know, They gave me a dance scholarship, and I just liked it. It felt comfortable, yeah. and uh, so I went. And I, and I burnt out on that one hard. It was a pretty uh, you know, light-it-all-on-fire-in-my-life kind of year. I learned a lot. I got a lot out of my system. Uh-huh. I was a liberal atheist with blue hair the year that Bush got reelected at Hope College. Um, it it wasn't yeah. the most obvious fit. Well, and it's yeah, and it isn't necessarily you know it's a Christian college of every sense of the word that um, you know that that comes from West Michigan yeah. and that evangelical kind of reformed church mindset. It's a and it's a beautiful community if you fit yeah. into it. You know, yeah. like everybody has deserves to have their own place. And, sure, and that just wasn't my place. Yeah. Um, but I think in speaking to the the journey aspect of it what my path has been, if I can dilute it to anything, is kind of doing what's necessary at the moment and what felt right for me. Sure. Um, you know, Western then, I was ready for Western, which I wouldn't have been coming out of high school because I didn't know that I actually wanted to do musical theater. I thought like, oh, this would be a cool thing to do and Hope certainly has a theater program, but I didn't 
even make a dent in that theater. I mean, right. that's a, that's, that wasn't going to be my route, especially as a dancer. Um, but leaving hope, thinking, oh gosh, what am I going to do? And then hearing that Western had this program, um, that's not exactly how the timing went. I was not all that happy, and I heard that Western was auditioning. And so I thought, you know, I might as well try it. And having the experience and sort of the, the exhaustion with what was going on at Hope gave me the ability to say, like, maybe this would be a good option. And I'm glad that I had that because Western then allowed me to continually cultivate my own artist. Yeah. Um, well, and I think you have that pivot where you appreciate something because you were in a particular um, situation. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you the more light switches go on when you get to Western than if you had just gone to Western as a funnel. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So through that sort of like struggle and adversity, there's always that other side of the coin. Yeah. That uh, that sort of is that aha moment of like, okay, now I appreciate something, or now I have a better path forward, or I understand something I couldn't think of before. Yeah. Yeah. Struggle and adversity is. Certainly, something I've been considering lately as to like how humans get to the heights that they achieve. Well, it's a great pivot point to your, oh. uh, you know, your career was in jeopardy not that long ago, a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. The, um, just explain what happened um, over time, and then what required this major surgery that you had. Yeah. So um, I was actually born with hip dysplasia. It's really common in golden retrievers. Um, <laughs> That's through breeding. We're yeah. not going to blame your parents yeah, yeah. <laughs> genetically. <laughs> we can if you want. Let's text them. Check. Thanks, so mom. Thanks, Thanks, mom, for the hip dysplasia. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> so so is this where the femur kind of like comes out of the hip bone? Yes. Yeah, so basically, like I, I didn't yeah. have a socket at all. Yeah. Um, my leg was stuck behind my head while I was developing. It never moved. Um, and so there was no socket. They did some surgeries. They did a surgery when I was an infant put me in a body cast, toast armpits for a while, yeah. and all the procedures took, and I was able to walk at the correct normal mm-hmm. <laughs> normal time, and uh, life went on. Little to my knowledge, the hip surgeon, or the hip doctor, Dr. Hotchkiss, I think is his name, was his name, he told my folks, you know, he might need his hip replaced in 35 years. <laughs> that information kind of went the out day. the window. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, to the day, literally. Sure. Um, and then fast forward, like I, you know, my life as a dancer, I've never had the proper facility for it. I'm not a built to be turned out ballet dancer or anything, and um, and I was always aware of that. And there was sometimes when my hip would hurt, but it wasn't ever too much of a thing in high school. Mm-hmm. College, I started to feel it a little more, but the drive. I mean, you know, you can't stop the drive, and I knew what I mm-hmm. had to do and wanted to do, and um, so. Sorry, I just looked at your thing and I was like, is it recording? It is, right? <laughs> Thank you. It is. <laughs> okay. Thanks for keeping an eye on um, We're at 31 minutes. Oh, wow. Well, all right. Well, um, well, my so I know a little bit about hip dysplasia because my daughter, who's 14, my youngest daughter, I have three daughters, um, she has cerebral palsy, but she was starting to experience where the femur would dislocate from oh, that through the spasticity. And she's doing great, but she had a similar surgery with full body cast. This was six, eight years, six years ago. And uh, she's doing great. Good. But like the, um, I can't imagine having to deal with a full body cast as a cognizant human. Yeah, she was like, uh, I don't know, uh, eight, nine. Yeah. And um, that oh, was a very thing. challenging, challenging time. Full body, <laughs> full body cast. And, and but, you know, you can't walk. You're not you going anywhere. Anything. So yeah. the facility, just your daily functions are. It's not a, it was not a fun time. But... In terms of the amount of pain and rehab that you had to go through mm-hmm. to continue to pursue your dream, you probably could have pivoted from performing if you thought it was going to, or adapt your performances in a way. But talk about your recovery and kind of where you're at when you were in a lot of pain and saying, now's the time I need to do this. Yeah. So long story short, the pain, the pain just got worse and worse and worse over, over the course of my career. Um, and it started to limit me uh, as to what I was able able to do. Um, And that forced me to shift and shift and shift in a way that I think was really helpful for my artist. But uh, eventually, two years ago or three years ago, I was at a place where it was really not okay. And like Mm -hmm. I was not excited about dancing anymore. I was 
nervous about going to auditions because I knew I was going to be in pain afterwards. Sure. Doctors had always said, like, well, you know, there's nothing going on. No one ever wanted to, like, actually hear the story because so many dancers have a hip thing and it's just what it is. You have a torn labrum. Finally, I got a new doctor and I said, I think something's actually wrong here. And so he said, okay, well, let's go see some specialists. Bing, bang, boom, did the scans. I've got full blown arthritis. There's no cartilage left and all the normal dance injuries. And the and he's like, you're, the pain that you're experiencing, I'm here to validate. Because up until then, it had been, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong, so therefore, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be able to right. do anything about it. The, you know, the, yeah, the, par for the course. At this point in your career, yeah. you're a dancer, you're brutal on your body. It's just taking time. Yeah. But then he validated he that validated this is something, it. other layer here that You know, you've got a can fix, 70-year-old man's hip right now. Yeah. Um, which was kind of huge. It was cathartic to the whole. That whole process was very strange because I've also identified as a dancer, a dancer working through struggle, which you know is not different. That doesn't make me special. All dancers are certainly struggling, but uh, it's it was in my identity and knowing that like I didn't have what the facility yeah. was that many of my contemporaries had, and so it was a point of pride. And as the surgical option started to land on the table, and it was going to be something that I could do there was this aspect of excitement to get out of the pain and to get back to the dancing, but there was also this fear of, like, am I going to even be the same dancer if I don't have this? Like, who am I? If I've always felt like I'm, you know, I've sat into my left hip my entire life. I've never stood up, like, standing up straight was never what I did. Right. Like, I was watching a video of myself performing with my physical therapist after the surgery of, like, a year previous, and, and she was like, look at your leg. Look at how crazy that looks. But I was like, yeah, but that's also my style. I, right. You know, that was what made me unique. Yeah. Um, but to get back to your question, long-windedly, I'm the, that's great. Um, the tangents are good. The the recovery and the pain and the all that. Um, I guess what I can speak to most is that there was a major fear. That you know, the pain was real. The pain was there. Once the surgery happened, it was. It was trusted that it was going to go away. I just had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a serious fear of if I was ever going to get back in the room, actually. Yeah. You know, I knew I was going to be dancing again. I knew that was there, but am I going to be able to compete? Yeah. And Can that, you sustain eight shows? Yeah. Can you even get cast? Can you? Can uh, I feel confident enough yeah. to like do what I need to do to, to stand out in the way that I need to stand out? Right. Um, and that process was hard, and I was really freaked out about it, and, I was, and it was really precious because I, I, I felt the weight of it, um, that this is sort of every day needs to be handled compassionately in like a step-by-step way because if I, if I fumble this tower, I don't know if I'm going to have the energy to like start from scratch again. Yeah. Um, and so there was this day, I was, it was about six months after my surgery, and I was in callbacks for the FX series Fosse Verdon, which was a big deal for dancers in New York and it was mm-hmm. something that I was kind of really 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 hoping I was going to be able to book because it would be consistent work that would be able to support me right. and it wouldn't be dancing eight shows a week yeah. while I finished my recovery sure yeah because you'd be more in a, a studio sort of t- television production or movie production yeah. mindset mm-hmm. which is not the same pace no and now hearing about what that process was like for many of my contemporaries I know that it wouldn't have been an, an, an easy on the body thing sure, <laughs> you know sure. it's all expectations and whatever but yeah we're in the room and it's callbacks and I'm there with all the guys who I dance with and all the people that I look up to and you know I'm like okay yeah this is great I'm in the room I'm I'm here and then I got cut and there was only like three of us that got cut or whatever and I and I felt it I felt the curtains coming and the darkness and I thought oh god this is the moment that I'm never going to return from right and so I said no 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 there's something here take this energy turn it into something good so I forced myself to go to this basic ballet class which felt crazy because I've danced ballet my whole life and I go that afternoon and I'm in the class and I'm so aware of myself and I'm aware that the teacher's looking at me being like well, what are you doing in this basic ballet class you know and mm-hmm. and um, all the shapes work and the balances work but then I'm trying to stand on my left leg and I can't and in that moment I had this realization of okay I was in that room this morning with those dancers but then I got cut and I'm here and I'm know that 80% of my facility is working so great, but then 20% is completely not working. And I just kind of like expanded the room to hold space for all of those different mm. identifiers. Yeah. Um, and that's what actually gave me the grace to take the pressure off. 
So you got cut that morning, and then you decided to start that ballot. Was that, that all that, the same day? All the same day. So yeah. you got cut. You suffer this terrible, you know, Heart, deflating like, experience, yeah, heartbreak. Truly. Yeah, and you're trying to get recover from rehab and. Uh, meaning physical rehab, if I accept this out, it wasn't another type of rehab. But it was a physical you know, recovery from major surgery that threatened your career. You get cut. It's formating. It's all sort of coming together that this is, this is it. I really don't have a path forward. And then you decide, I think a ballet class will help me, and you're in that afternoon or yeah. evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it wasn't even, I think the ballet class is going to m- get me a job. It was... I'm not going to be okay psychologically if I don't change path right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't crater on this. I have to, I have to live no matter what. No matter if I don't make it back in the room, mm-hmm. I have to continue to be okay with myself. Right. And so, you know, I needed to transform that energy. I needed to expand it. I needed to go out to the place that felt really uncomfortable and vulnerable and find new confidence. So, how long was it? From that first ballet class to you finding a path back to being back in the room and then getting an outcome that you felt, okay, I'm back on my career. I love this part of every podcast where the train goes by. It's like in my ears. Yeah. Love it. Let's just take it in a minute, Mikey. Oh. I love the train. Huh? That's great. I love it. Anyway, it never lasts long, so that's good. Um, but how long before you were back in the room? But also that mental. So you're at the ballet. You're trying desperately to come up with, you know, uh, a progression where you're confident again to being cast and the uh, and you know working. Yeah, you know the the ballet class pretty instantly shifted my point of view because it gave me something to say I was doing. You know. To be like, because it's something to say to professional dancers, like, oh, I'm back in ballet class. Right. Like, everybody kind of understands that. Mm-hmm. Um, something, you know, there's certainly people who take class all the time, and there's certain people who don't, and, you know, either way, whatever, your path is our path. And, but it gave me something to say, like, I'm working on this, and holy cow, who knew it was going to be so hard to do padishahs across the floor slowly? Like, you know, <laughs> but it's a struggle. And um, so that just, I continued on that path. And I think it was like five months after that that I actually debuted in, in Hamilton on stage. Yeah. Um, but I, not, not too far after that ballet class, probably like two months after that is when the auditions started to actually work. Yeah. Um, where I was starting to feel confident. And, it, and Hamilton, the Hamilton audition process is long. There's mm-hmm. a ton of boxes to check, and you never know quite what you're auditioning for. Yeah. Um, but I remember the first day going in for that and I ended up dancing in the room for like three or four hours straight and I was inspired and not thinking about anything and I was properly warmed up but I remember leaving the room and being like whoa that went really well and I'm like I'm gonna get emotional um I was so excited and so thrilled because I got to I I I wasn't restricted I wasn't in pain I was it was brand new experience I was like and it dawned on me that day dawned on me I was like this is the actual experience that I was hoping for that I've never even been able to understand because I've never been a dancer who was gonna, was gonna be not in pain after right. doing what I love. Yeah. And that was like, you know, the windows flew wide open and yeah. the glorious light came in and said like, holy shit, your life is gonna be good again. Yeah. Not that we need an answer like that for life to be good, but it, but it was. It was this major Well, we, the stakes were high, right? And also yeah. I think what... I could project for that three to four hour audition that was rigorous and your body, like it almost probably for the first time in your life weren't thinking about your body through that day. Yeah. And then you got through it and then you're like, holy cow, I I got through that day and that felt great and I still feel pretty good. Yeah. That's incredible. I want to pivot now because we're at a special point where the Grand Rapids, as we record today, the Grand Rapids production of Hamilton is wrapped. Mm -hmm. And everyone's asking you, so what's going on? What are you going to do? Where are you going? But you were able to tell me, and as now it's not not disclosed, and we're going to release this episode after we can safely release it. But uh, you have some special plans. Yeah. Uh, and tell us a little bit. You're going from Hamilton and this production that stayed in Grand Rapids a while. And what's up, what's up next for you? So uh, I'm actually, there's a brand new production of Hamilton that's going to sit down in L.A. for uh, a, a good chunk of time. 
and I will be uh, involved in that. I'll be swinging that production, and I'm going to get to understudy King George, um, which is really, really <laughs> exciting. Uh, if there's a show stealer, which there shouldn't, you shouldn't be able in Hamilton to say that part is a show stealer. But it's certainly this levity that's needed, and it's such a King George is. Uh, I can't imagine, from your perspective, having a juicier character to inhabit than yeah. the way that this is written, and you get to perform it. Um, so you understudy for that, and you're yeah, gonna swing. And I'll do you swing. do uh, one techno? I just want to swing, uh, swing back to swinging. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If uh, so, when you go to this, are you gonna be uh, working on the same just for ease of the same six roles that you need to be prepared for, or parts, I should say, uh, for the LA production versus what you've done in Grand Rapids, or will you be in other positions? Uh, no, it's the same. Theoretically, it's the same. Okay. Um, the shows what the audience experiences. Philip Tour, Eliza Company, Broadway Company, Angelica, whatever you're seeing, like it's gonna be the same thing that Got you it. experience. How it all happens within itself is different. The tracking is certainly different. Um, and so, so yeah, it will be the same six roles. There are six men in the ensemble, five women in the ensemble. Um, so theoretically the material is all there. It's just kind of reconfiguring it. And then also uh, this, this production, um, it's a it's a completely veteran company from what I understand. So everybody has done it. Yeah. But in that fact, it is the same show, but there's slightly, you know, it's been communicated to the performers differently based on sure. who's taught the companies and how it's understood and what the, well, the choreographer, the director, all those things. Yeah, and so it's gonna it. the process I think is gonna be cool because everybody's got their own sort of idea of what the show is and we're gonna all come together and click into what the new what this version is gonna be. Mm-hmm. Um so in Los Angeles, what uh, what what theater is it going to be in? It's going to be at the Pantages Theater. Where is um, it? I'm, it's, I'm it's in West Hollywood. It's basically okay. Hollywood and Vine. Yeah, um, it's a big it's a big house. I was there a handful of years ago with Wicked. Mm-hmm. Um, Hamilton actually, I believe, sat down at the Pantages for something like six months. Um, one of the tours did. Um, it was really well received, and LA's I guess been chomping at the bit to have it back. So. There's certainly no shortage of people who could potentially go see it in Los Angeles. You certainly. know, Grand Rapids would eventually run out of people that have seen it five times and they don't want to go back again. Yeah, you know, yeah. during that run. But maybe that absence will—it'll have its own splash. What do you like? Uh, what are you looking forward to about living in L.A.? You've you're, you've been a New York kid for so long. I yeah. say kid. You know, mm, it works. I'll hey, take it. You know, you're still Mikey to me. No. I, I'm Mikey to everybody. People call, somebody calls him Mike. I look at him like, you must not be speaking to me. Great. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, uh, just, you know, you, you have this opportunity to go to LA. Oh, it's a yeah. different place, different world, different city. Contrast that with New York and, and what you're excited about moving to, to LA. Uh, the first and foremost thing is the weather. Yeah. You know, I love New York. New York's great. I love the seasons. Growing up in Michigan, I love the seasons. Uh, I just know that when it's warm out, I live differently. Like, I will do my own yoga practice outside every day if it's nice, mm-hmm. you know, which I would love to feel what that can be if I have, you know, if that availability is there all year. And I, you know, like, I get it. I'm making excuses. I could do my yoga practice every day in my sure. apartment or whatever. But I just know that it makes a difference for me, and I'm excited to see what the accumulation is. Um, of that lifestyle. Great and timing for your body, right? You know absolutely. what I mean? To be in warmer weather. And I think New York is a brutal town just in terms of how much walking you do. You know, I mean, it's a walking town, subways. It's a very physical town to live, more so, I think, than L.A. In terms of just logistically yeah. getting around a city. Absolutely. It's a, it's a different demand on your body. So it seems to be like a great time to go to L.A. Yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be a and nice place to heal and continue to, on this new path. I mean, the accumulation idea is actually comes straight out of my recovery. And that was like, I would, you know, people are like, how did you recover? I said, it's accumulation theory. It's step by step and, you know, day by day by day by day. By day. Mm-hmm. But I really am interested in all the ways that that idea is now coming into my life, whether it's in, in what I choose to eat or put into my body or my practice, my yoga practice or you know, meditation practice or any of these things. So I'm, I'm really excited to have the vessel that is California yeah. to contain my life for a while and see what, you know, 
Secret alchemy comes out of that. Well, you know, it's a, I think you joke about it, but there is something real about having some intentionality in the presence that we talked about earlier. It's just like you're, it sounds like when you're doing daily accumulations, you have to be, you know, as you can tell, I've been trying to focus more on this presence idea, which is not new. And it's kind of like some people, but it is something just to like quickly four or five, as many times as I can think of it in a day to just like recenter. And like, we only have this instant now. It's not 10 minutes ago when we were talking. It's like right now. It's just that idea of like, I'm going to be present. But if you're able to filter all these different things about how you're going to be in LA, and there will be an alchemy there that's not the same in New York or yeah. Grand Rapids or anywhere else. So it's exciting time and just ancillary opportunities as an entertainer. You don't know. Oh, I mean, certainly. there's so many other things. You're going to be there probably audition season. You know, who knows? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's lots, lots of, of opportunities there yeah. that you know are somewhat available in New York, but are, it's a totally different industry. Um, also, speaking specifically to the dancer experience, I know all of us dancers going out there feel extremely lucky because the L.A. dancer lifestyle is gig to gig. And, you know, sometimes those are really huge gigs. You book a Super Bowl halftime commercial and, you know, you're set Mm -hmm. for a year or two. But, like, it's gig to gig. And so having this availability to just have a steady job as a dancer in L.A. and live, get to live in L.A. with that experience, like, that's just lucky. It doesn't really come around. Um, So I'm, I'm looking forward to really just leaning into responsibly leaning into what that can foster in my own life. Do you know uh, Sarah Stellwagen? Do you know her? Mm-mm. All right. It's a nice she, last name, though. Yeah. Well, she's from West Michigan. I actually don't know her very well. I, I, I did a quick portrait with her years ago. But she was in her path. Anyway, just to name drop somebody that I don't know, but she, she is like the, from what I understand it, the personal right-hand assistant to Ryan Murphy. Okay who happens to be a pretty good showrunner in L.A. Oh. That's his name? Ryan Ryan Murphy, right? I got to look it up. It's like he started with Glee, and now he runs like a whole... Uh, he did like People vs. O.J. Simpson. And oh, like wow. All, like yeah. He's a mega mogul. Anyway, I'll try to hook you up. That would be great. Actually, that's one of my, one of my goals before I get out there is uh, compiling all the indirect connections... Yeah. That I don't know because it's also interesting to, you know, when I moved to New York, I was 23 um, and I was chomping at the bit and I was so career focused and so driven. And I, you know, that's kind of all I was focused on. Sure. Um, now, 30, no, 10 years later, not 30 years later, <laughs> 10 years later, I am looking at life a lot differently and I've lived sort of the transient life done the tour thing, lived in New York, moved to Chicago, all that, you know, and it's just, I'm ready for cultivating life and you know I keep asking myself this question of like what does it mean to live the life when it really is required to be in a certain place or to be available at a whim to go oh yeah okay I'm gonna go travel here now I'm gonna so moving to LA thinking I want to expand and like form a community and live a life there even if I know that it's not where I'm gonna end up I'm trying to intentionally be permanent there in a present way yeah you know, um, because I don't, you know, I'm living my dreams, but I also need to live my life because I don't want to get to the end and be like, wow, the dreams are great, but like, did I actually live? Did I have a community? Did I find people? Well, that's a balance. I don't, I, I've met a lot of successful people in whatever they're doing. It could be business, it could be in education, it doesn't matter, or performing. They all seem to have this extra gear that's never quite satisfied and they don't either through self-deprecation or whatever it might be. I think performers have this. I certainly have it as an artist, as a photographer. It's like, I don't know that what I'm doing is that great, you know, but building on confidence and that applies to all parts of your life, either relationships or like, I'm going to go form a community, which is again, you have to be vulnerable and put yourself out there to find your people. Right. Yeah. But that extra gear of like, it's always never enough. So once you beat a particular challenge, be it a performance, a stage, or a, a particular dance style that you're trying to master, it could be rapping the 
stuff in Hamilton, you know, and I'll, you've mastered that. So what's next? The bar is always moving for people yeah. that are especially successful and creative. And um, it'll be exciting and challenging to see, you know, you're, you're able to go out there in, in a production that you have a handle on, which is mm-hmm. great. That's a great platform. And then you can go, okay, we'll see what happens there? next. Yeah. Well, I'm predicting, uh, uh, you know, an Emmy and a, you know, some, some, oh yeah, we're going to eat that. It's going to be real. Yeah. You got, so <laughs> Don't even worry about done. it. You've already built the shelf space in LA, but at least West Hollywood's great. You're not going to be like, uh, oh, yeah, downtown no, LA is better than it was. And I've stayed down there a lot, but like West Hollywood does as far as the theater and there's things around and places to live. It's a pretty, pretty nice place to hang your hat. For yeah. A I think I've even, I've hooked it up where I'm not even going to have a car. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, which is great because I don't. I mean, the car, I love the idea of having a car, but it, it doesn't make any financial. You really need sense. to that. That uh, there's so many there's so many ways to get around that end up costing less time and the convenience of parking and doing all the other crap you have to do in a big city. It's yeah, gonna be all right. Um, all right, man. So, what, anything you wanted to cover that we didn't cover? I um, well, I mean, like, I, there's certainly other things we could talk about that I've been like, oh, we could go on that branch, and that, well, that's a big branch to go on. <laughs> Um. No, this has been great. I'm really glad we were able to do this. Yeah, it's been fun. I'm so glad that you were able to to come in and and do this. I love the portraits we shot. Do you like the? Uh, do you like being photographed? That's something I ask a lot of guests. Is if I guess being a performer, it's probably. I do like being photographed yeah. when it's a safe situation. Like sure. what you created was a safe situation. Um, there's. Especially as a performer, there's this expect. I feel an expectation that I always know what I'm doing if I'm in front of people or if I'm in front of camera. And I, many performers, I think, grow the or exercise the muscle of improvisation to a degree that allows us to kind of exist in a much more comfortable way than the average human does in front of people. But it doesn't mean that it's any easier. And so, like, right. you know, having some, having someone like yourself to say like, do this or do that, or just even positive reinforcement, you know, like, oh, oh, that was great, you know, then that allows me to feel safe in it, and I certainly enjoy it then, but if it, you know, if it's well, just like... Well, in portraiture, what I noticed, so especially with your your session today, because it was just, you know, a half hour or an hour ago, is um, the sense of body scale to wherever the attention point is on you, in terms of body control, like I could suggest somebody move their hands or something, and then they just become these big bricks. Yeah. And they uh, they become the most awkward things. And it's like, you didn't doing that when we were having coffee in the, you know, no. over on the couch or like whatever. <laughs> but the performer has just a way of, it's that camera awareness, but yeah. also the presence. And so it was a joy to photograph you. I can't wait to share those. Well, thank you. And um, I and can't wait to see them all. I mean, the, the bits we saw look really good. They are good, dude. I'm, I'm, I don't say that all the time, but I'm excited to get these into the, you know, and start working on them and, and get them out. But, um, yeah, so when you're back in town, I, I if you're in this way uh, and we want to do an update, I'd love to ha- have you back on. That would be great. Portrait, and then we'll talk about your, um, your Oscar and, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> it's like, oh, I see what it went. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Thank you very much. Yeah, Thanks, my pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me. Safe travels. What a fun conversation that was with Mikey Winslow. I can't thank him enough for making the time. The other backstory about how uh, we got together was uh, I was connected by text via him by uh, Beth Milanowski, who's related to my wife, and I'm related to her too, quite frankly. So thank you, Beth, for that connect. But it was so hard to get him in. He was so busy that last week of Hamilton. And um, we kept trying to get in dates. And between my schedule and his schedule, it didn't look like it was going to come together. And then he had just a day or two before he was leaving town to go to New York to begin rehearsals for the L.A. production. He had a small window on a Friday morning, popped into the studio, and we got that conversation done. And um, it's fun when you meet somebody and you just have that connection. 
um, through photography in this conversation. I feel like uh, if I get to LA, I definitely want to look him up, grab a coffee, just kind of catch up with him and see what's going on with his life. I'm excited for him. He's excited to be in, in Los Angeles in this chapter of his life, as you heard. So I hope you're inspired by this. Uh, that hip injury that he over came and the hip replacement that was no joke and for professional dancers that type of hip replacement many times does not allow them to continue professionally and i just wish him all the health all the happiness and uh i can't wait to see what comes of this los angeles uh, production that he was part of or is going to be a part of and thank you for letting us kind of break the news here about uh la and uh, sharing that with us before it was announced. So it's clear now. You can tell all your friends. If you're in L.A., go to see Hamilton, and you will likely see Mikey Winslow on stage. All right. Don't forget to check out the fullexposurepodcast.com website. It's beautiful. There's every episode, all the portraits I make, every conversation, and tons and tons of video excerpts. So... Let's uh, let's go have a uh, let's just go out and have a great week, everybody. Let's go get it. This full exposure podcast episode has been made possible through the support of Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, who believe that creativity and the arts are essential to a rich, healthy, and fulfilling life. <laughs>